Named after the mechanism that separates the sweet wort from the spent grains, False Bottom Girls features two beer experts filtering through the brewing industry to guide listeners through the wonderful, yet sometimes confusing, world of beer. Hi, my name is Rachel Hudson. I'm the co-owner and head brewer of Pilot Brewing in Charlotte, North Carolina, and an advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair. I'm the beer program coordinator with New Realm Brewing in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am also an advanced Cicerone. Take it away. (laughs) Start. Well, like an hour after we intended to, we're finally starting this episode. Um, (laughs) And if you all have been listening, you know that I like to name years as kind of a theme or maybe some guidance. So last year was 2020 Perfect Vision, which did not turn out as um, anybody was expecting. Um, but I think we did start to see a lot of things for what they really are. So I guess uh, that that name wasn't a total bust. Um, before that, I had Barley Wine Teen, and then I had Consolidate Teen, which was um, when I was drinking through all of my beer in my cellar. So I'm telling you all of this <laughs> because I've decided that 2021 is going to be 2020 pun. <laughs> and Jen is exceptionally good at puns. <laughs> We have got a lot of corny jokes for you today because we're talking about corn and rice in beer. That's right. Jen. Yes. What did the mama corn say to her plump son? I don't know. You're not fat. You're just a little husky. (laughs) (laughs) Boo. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like my corn jokes? Okay, here I got another one. What do the corn say when you received a compliment? All shucks. <laughs> okay. If you're still listening, Rachel, Rachel has made her way through the interwebs to a website yes. filled with corn jokes. Yeah, I just Googled corn jokes. I like that. <laughs> I, got, I can go all day. Go all day. Oh, she can let go me, from let me know when you're ready for on, everyone. Um, <laughs> okay, I, I will let you know. When, when this episode ready. is posted, please, 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 everybody in the comments, post your best corn joke. Okay, your best yes, one. The best one. Yeah, we'll send a prize to who we think is the bestest of the best. <laughs> and it will be a shout out. Because <laughs> that's all we have. <laughs> right. That's all we have. We'll be a uh, like. You are accolades. <laughs> Look out for you the You will like. be the cream of the crop. Oh, shucks. <laughs> May as well. <laughs> oh, that is man. actually, corn, corn is actually recently one of my favorite ingredients to brew with. Why? Let me tell you why. You want to know why? Let me tell you. Because as you know, I hate New England IPAs. As you know, and if what? you don't know, that's you don't the first know, time hearing of it. If you don't know, this is the first time you've listened to any of our episodes. So, uh, or you sure haven't been around Rachel for more than five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so, at Pilot, we like to brew Southeastern IPAs. What is that, you ask? What is that? <laughs> that is American style IPA brewed with either corn or grits. Someone made this up. I went along with it. I'm not the only brewery to brew this. There's been other breweries to brew Southeastern IPAs. It is becoming a thing. 
New England IPAs can be a thing. South, so can Southeastern IPAs. So we brew ours with, with corn, flaked maize. I like to say flaked maize because it sounds better than corn uh, to me as a brewer. People are like, what? You brew a corn? Corn syrup? You like that Miller Lite? You're like, no, 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 no. But it yields a nice – so corn provides fermentable sugars. Um, it does not provide all the haze that barley might provide. And um, it kind of yields a nice – dry finish a uh, and a nice clearness that i like so much in my ipa so think american ipa with about 20 percent corn boom southeastern ipa we currently have one on tap right now we always have one on tap so that's why recently they've been my favorite um it's kind of my fu to new england ipas I just wanted to let everyone know it has a special place in my heart. <laughs> well, you bring up, I think that's an interesting point for us to kind of start the discussion because for a very, very long time uh, that, you know, corn and rice were what was used in beer yeah. for a variety of reasons, which we'll talk about. But because of that, because they were used in macro styles and used to you know, thin the body, make it light in color. Um, a lot of people with craft, when craft brewing started growing, corn and rice and beer had a bad rap because that's what the macro brewers did. And that was indicative of a poor quality beer, which yeah. is not true. And that's something that I tell people a lot is sure some of those styles arguably most of those styles are not made using the highest quality ingredients that's not what the beer is about right the beers uh, styles like american lager american light lager international light lager all of those are made to appeal to the widest range of people possible for a very low price point and you appeal to the widest range of people possible by making a product that is devoid of taste as much as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, with those styles, they are distinct styles. And that's, I think a lot of times, you know, people, I'm a big adherent, and I know I've said this before, of letting people like what they like. And I would like to see people explore beer more, but if you like Miller Lite, that's what you like. And that's not an inferior product necessarily to craft or to all malt. It's just a different, it's a different thing. Um, so it's been fairly recent that craft brewers have started to embrace all the ways that you can use adjuncts like corn and rice in beer. And I think that's, that's really interesting. And now it's almost um, kind of like a retro thing to do, or like yeah. you guys do with your Southeastern IPA is how do you, make a regional beer and like look around you what grows in in your region and how can you incorporate that into beer yeah so definitely not denigrating styles like american lager and american light lager there is a lot of skill involved in making a very consistent product in very very high volumes especially with rice like getting in researching about brewing with rice it, there's a lot of different types of rice out there and not all of them are suitable for brewing and you need to be like very picky about the type of rice where like corn 
at least to me, provide it from the maltster, all the options of corn that they provide, I'm pretty much going to be fine with. Right. Um, and generally with corn, it's yellow dent corn. Yeah. Which is what I say generally, that is what has been used for yeah. craft brewers. That's probably most of what you can still get. But some maltsters are using like bloody butcher and different varieties of corn now, but it's like craft corn. But yeah, so talking about corn, Rachel alluded to this, you know, when we were first starting to brew in the United States, uh, particularly as we had like the German and Bohemian brewers kind of settling the West, which at the time, St. Louis and Chicago were considered the West. And what they found was that unlike places like Munich and um, Monrovia, those kinds of areas, two-row barley, like what they were used to, didn't grow very well in the United States. Uh, Six-row did. Mm -hmm. And six-row particularly grew and at the time, what was the West, so places like Missouri and Illinois and the Midwest. Mm -hmm. So that six-row barley has a much higher protein content than two-row barley. And again, kind of looking around them, like we were just talking about with the Southeastern IPA, looking around to see what grew well, corn grew well, rice grew well, particularly in places like Arkansas. And they figured out that they could start using corn and rice to basically cut that protein content down in their mm -hmm. beer. So it would be, wouldn't be hazy. Um, it wouldn't be, you know, they wouldn't have problems with stuck mash because they had those high proteins. It was a way to kind of balance it out and thin out the body. And that was also what was available and it was know, available in, in yeah. spades around them. And I think what's really interesting is um, there's a series that this gentleman who has retired from Coors, I think, has been writing um, in the MBAA journals about how when the German brewers were using things like corn and uh, corn mostly, and then, you know, later on it was corn and rice. Now it's mostly rice. But um, when they were came over and started brewing with that, the all malt brewers tried to like lobby the federal government to impose a United States Reinheitsgebot. Because, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't know. Yes, that. yeah, because <laughs> could you imagine? And it was the maltsters mostly, and um, some of the brewers because they said, you know, like they're bastardizing, they're adulterating the beer. Which what was really happening was American palates liked things like Budweiser better. And so they were selling better. And that was kind of a backdoor way to restrict the success of places like Budweiser and Pabst who uh, were using corn and rice to make this adjunct lager. The solution was to try to impose an American Reinheitsgebot. And that lasted from like the mid 1800s and almost up until World War I. And a lot of it was also, as it usually is, like anti-German sentiment uh, because it was German brewers who were using these adjuncts. And so it was under the guise of our beers being adulterated when it was really we're losing money and also they're German. Yeah. So, yeah. So we almost had an American Reinheitsgebot uh, that like argued on the Senate floor, uh, lobbied government for. Yeah, I'm so glad that did not pass. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I think that's an interesting thing that I just learned about in the past few months. 
So, uh, and I think it's going to be part of like a nine volume book. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's, it seems like maybe that's a f- like, like eight volumes too many for <laughs> American adjunct brewing, but that's, that's just me. Uh, so anyway, we were, you know, up until prohibition, that was what a, a lot of people were using. It was pretty commonplace to use things like corn and rice. Mm-hmm. Right. And then after, you know, prohibition, of course, and if you're not from the United States and you haven't heard about prohibition, it's called also called the failed experiment. Yeah. And uh, alcohol was constitutionally illegal in the United States for many years um, from, ooh, I think it was like 12 years, maybe like maybe 1921 to 1933 or Sounds so, right, but I would have to double check. Um, but it was several years in the United States that alcohol was illegal. And what happened then was all of the small brewers throughout the United States obviously went out of business. Uh, companies that could afford to pivot were all very familiar with the concept of companies having to pivot were able to pivot to things like malt syrup and soda and um, ice cream, you know, like malted milkshakes, all, all of those things rose out of these brewing companies who had the means and the scales, the economy of scales to start producing something else to keep them in business through the end of prohibition. Uh, and then after prohibition, of course, almost all of the small breweries were out of business and it was just those big breweries then who could just start producing beer again and then also like, you know, buying and consolidating. And the other thing to come out of prohibition that also allowed styles like American lager and American light lager. So styles that were brewed with corn and rice is that during prohibition, that's also kind of the rise of cocktails and Mm -hmm. the rise of mixed drinks. So when people could drink again, they didn't want beer. They wanted cocktails or they wanted something like soda. Soda turned out to be a big competitor for beer. And so it was easier for these big breweries to just grow and grow and grow. And then of course, in uh, like Rachel was saying, like in the forties and fifties, that's when, you know, like everything was like jello and, Mm -hmm. um, Bread. And bread. And beer. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah exactly. Just like generic. Yeah. No one cared. <laughs> right. Just wanted the yellow fizzy stuff. Right. And a lot of that time, a lot of uh, people, guys, men, some women probably, but were coming home from war and they were used to having the beer there or they were used uh-huh. to beer in general, but maybe even German beer. So, like, to be able to come home and have beer was probably like a comfort as well right right and they were also uh and it was in their homes yeah that's exactly what i was about to say yeah Yeah. beer went from being something that you went to a bar or someplace to get you could stay home and buy it at the grocery store PTSD and and private right and an interesting point to that too is that's also a very big reason why craft beer started to rise in like the mid 70s on is because so many men again had been overseas stationed through various wars in different countries and particularly in places like Europe and had been exposed to things like Belgian beer and English beer that was completely Mm -hmm. different from what they were used to at home and so they were there was more tolerance for something like Sierra Nevada pale ale when that got released uh, and wanting something different from what your parents had, you know, yeah. from, different from what your parents liked. Uh, so just, that's just a, some, I, I guess, kind of a divergent path, just talking about some of the history behind yeah. how 
adjunct brewing came to be, particularly in, in the United States, it is very much a United States thing. Um, also in Asia, obviously, where there's a lot of rice production, rice has long been part of beers. Um, so when we're talking about corn, Rachel, tell me some reasons why you would use corn in a beer. Yeah, for sure. It's going to um, give you some fermentable sugars uh, without necessarily giving all the protein haze that you might get from using all malt barley beer. It's going to help improve foam and head retention. Um, it will smooth out and sometimes it even lightens a very intense beer. So like you can find corn in a lot of different styles that you wouldn't necessarily find it in, like maybe a Baltic Porter or a dark mild where the, this ingredient is going to help kind of balance out a lot of different intensities that some other malts would give. Um, you'll even find it in um, Flanders Red um, or Grand Cru, which again, it will help smooth out that all the acetic acid and pediococcus that is coming from the barrel and from the air. And while it also providing some additional fuel for the microorganisms responsible for that acidity as well. So, um, you know, like going through, I could read a whole bunch of different styles. I mean, obviously your, uh, your obvious ones, American light lager, um, American Anheuser-Busch uses rice, Miller and Coors use corn. Um, you cream ale, cream ale would be the classic corn beer, right? Um, I like to talk about cream ale because a lot of people get a little, this style a little bit confused. Mm -hmm. It's not creamy. It's a very light beer. It's kind of like your American lager, but with an ale yeast string. Exactly. Corn. Um, I, I like to call it, or BJC likes to call it an American lawnmower beer, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's a crisp. It's usually very balanced. It's somewhat corny. We'll have a little bit of corn sweetness, maybe a corn aroma, which a lot of that could be associated with a DMS character. So it could be a little off-putting depending how much there is, but um, a little, it's not inappropriate to have like a corny character in a cream ale. Um, and then, you know, just different like British beers, British beers especially because they had, correct me if I'm wrong, Jen, and I think this might be a little bit of a case in Belgium too, but like uh, you get taxed for the amount of malt that you put in your mash tun. So corn would help bring down that, amount of money because it's not malt you wouldn't get yeah taxed on it. and in england specifically after world war ii is when a lot of english beers started using a lot more adjuncts because the you know the the country was was torn up it was a war zone yeah and a lot of barley production like in in a lot of places crops like barley got shifted to making bread and food and provisions mm -hmm. rather than beer. So um, brewers started that, yeah. using things like corn and um, British beers, especially will almost always have like sugars and things like that in there. Yeah. Um, corn that, sugar, that's part of why. I should mention the types of corn, right? Like yeah. we talk about corn in the mash. And when I use it, make a Southeastern IPA, I use corn in the mash. I use flaked maize, but um, there's tons of instances in beers where you can use corn sugar, IPAs, Belgian beers, if you will. I mean, there's a ton, mm -hmm. British beers, and normally something like corn sugar is going to be used to up your gravity. Um, the yeast really just eats through that first, so it'll really dry out your beer 
Um, and if you use too much, it could produce like a cidery effect. So you do got to be right. careful. But um, they has a lot of different uses. And it is one of those items that normally comes to you as a brewer ready to go. If you, mm-hmm. are, you can't just go like pick your own corn out of the cornfield and use it. You got to, you know, it's got to be processed, got to be gelatin. Right. right. And corn sugar is, that's a really good point. So dextrose is what corn sugar is. Mm-hmm. And those are the first sugars with, along with glucose that um, yeast will eat if it's available. Uh, so it does, like Rachel was saying, it's a great way to dry out your beer. It's corn sugar is the easiest way to add corn to your beer because you're just pouring sugar into your boil. Yeah. And really you just need to make sure that it doesn't scorch. And then yeah. you've done that. And it's funny because I never think about, and I don't think it is, I, you know, I think about it as you know, I'm adding sugar to a beer, but in my double IPA recipes, I always use corn sugar, Yeah, you want but to- I, but yeah, like I wouldn't say I added corn to the beer, but you know, like I added sugar exactly. that's made from corn. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. And you got to like, what was I going to say? Like, oh, it's not appropriate in every style. Like you can't just use it in any style because you want to up your gravity. Right. Like you're not going to use it in a Pilsner. You're not going to do that. You need this all malt character. You can use corn. <laughs> you, can't, you can't use corn sugar. I guess you could, but it wouldn't. I mean, be, you can, you can, you can add anything to any beer you want. Yeah. The, the BJCP police aren't going to show up. No, and true. Arrest I mean, you. But don't, don't, I don't know. I just feel like, like I, wouldn't put it in my oatmeal stout, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, yeah. And you definitely wouldn't want it in a beer that's supposed to have full body because your yeah. yeast is going to eat all of that corn yeah. sugar. Yeah. And dry it out. And if you um, have too much, it will stall fermentation also. It won't produce right. your maltose. Or right. Wheat. Yeah. Michael Lewis, like legendary professor at UC Davis, who said, who likened it to, you wouldn't give a kid a whole bunch of junk food and then say, eat your Brussels sprouts. Yeah. They filled up on junk food. You know, they filled up on that easy, on the easy sugar. They're not going to, they're not going to eat the maltose. Yeah. So Easter yeah. Another way to add, and Rachel had talked about this too, is with corn flakes or flaked maize. Um, Corn flakes, not the, not from the white box with the rooster on it. No. (laughs) Uh, Flaked, flaked corn, flaked maize. It's, it's the same thing. Um, that's, that's kind of the second easiest because like Rachel said, the corn has already gone through that gelatinization process and has been pressed flat into flakes. And really all you need to do if you're using something like flaked corn in your recipe is, um, you don't even really need to mill it. You could technically, you could add it directly to your mash because the, the gelatinization has already happened, but, um, you can also, just put it in, like, if you've got a, I've got a coffee grinder that I use for hot steeps, uh, just put it in something like a clean coffee grinder and grind it up just to make a little bit more of that starch available yeah. during your mash. Uh, but you could just throw it straight But it's not in. necessary. Yeah. Right. And uh, if you are going to use something like corn grits, you're going to need to like boil those grits before. Yes. Excellent point. Um, because I think we kind of skipped over this step of <laughs> why you wouldn't just add yeah. corn to your beer. So corn is very high in starch and when you're brewing, that also is going to mean that you're going to have a very uh, much higher viscosity to your beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like when we joke about what sticks our mashes, that corn <laughs> will stick your mash. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you can't add corn directly to your mash because it would just make it gummy 
and you wouldn't be able to get good efficiency. You wouldn't be able to get good extraction. You would just have a gummy gelatinous mess. Yeah. So with corn and with rice, uh, there's an intermediate step in your mashing process. If you're using something like whole corn, whole rice and not flaked corn, um, or anything that's been gelatinized. So you, with that step, you have to gelatinize your corn and your rice. Uh, so how you do that in a brew house is through a cereal cooker. And a cereal cooker is kind of like a, a sidecar to a motorcycle, right? It's not the same size as your mash ton, but it's going to be uh, kind of an intermediate step uh, before putting that corn or rice into your mash is gelatinizing those starches and, you know, kind of getting that, uh, making it so that way when you're adding it to your mash, those starches are available for conversion. And the way that you would do that is taking your, you know, the amount of corn and rice you would use in a beer. Generally for most styles, that would be around 20% or so with some styles like an American lager, American light lager, that can be up to 40%. But or it you could would... be, it could be lower, like 10%, depending right. if you're using right. like a dark, like a Baltic Porter or maybe a British yes. beer. Or something yeah. Like that. Excellent point. So um, but yeah, so really it wouldn't depend. be more than 40%, <laughs> but yeah, depending yeah, on the style, yeah. um, let's say 10 to 20% would go in that cereal cooker along with a portion of the malted barley you're going to be using. And part of the reason for that is to sort of, um, you know, with that husk to provide a little bit of a filter um, and kind of keep everything lifted and apart. And then you're also providing some of those enzymes from your malt. Uh, Sometimes you might also see it as you should have six row malt in there with it because the six row malt has higher levels of protein. So they have more enzymes Mm -hmm. and you want the, the corn and rice still needs some of those enzymes to be yeah. able to gelatinize. Yeah. They don't have their own diastatic power. Right. And so that's they why need some help. Yes. Basically. And that's, that's also why, like when we were talking about brewers, you know, looking around them and using corn and rice because the six row had such high protein levels, it helped cut that those protein levels, but those protein levels also helped with the, yeah. you know, to convert the, the corn and the rice and to make those starches available. So it really worked well together. Um, mm-hmm. It was a, uh, what is that called? Like the sucker fish who hold on to the shark. Um, what is that? Like that? A, no, the, the name for it. And people are screaming it right now. Symbiotic. <laughs> it's a very symbiotic oh. relationship <laughs> um, between the, you know, using something like corn and rice and using six row um, or now macro brewers use a very high protein two row. Um, but sure. that goes into that. But that was, cereal. That wasn't very available. Right. That goes into the cereal cooker and you gelatinize those starches and then move that into your mash tun and then kind of continue your mash tun as normal. Which is a lot of work and most big breweries don't do that. Yes. They just get flakes or pre-gelatinized stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So um, you can have the, yeah, the flakes or the torrified. And with the torrified, it is basically just kind of like a high heat where it puffs up. So think yeah. about something like Rice Krispies. That's a torrified cereal. Also, does um, that is torrified rice. Yeah. What's that? Doesn't need to be milled. Just right. To throw it out there. You don't need to mill flake stuff. You don't need to mill torrified. You can. It won't hurt it. Like in theory, I guess if you made too much surface area, it could bring out a little stringency, but you're probably fine. 
Likewise. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine you would get too much astringency just because there's not a husk, a husk yeah. on, on either rice or corn. So and you probably because wouldn't. Yeah. you're using dehusked rice. Yeah. You're probably right. Let's switch over to rice real quick. Um, so well, that rice... would be rice. <laughs> uh-huh. Jesus Christ. You see what 2020 pond. <laughs> she is good at ponds. You know, I just play it by ear. No, it's... T- Ah, got her. <laughs> oh my God. How am I going to get through the rest of this day? So rices can be a little less flavorful than corn. Um, it will still produce a dry, clean taste. Can lend a little bit more crackery biscuit flavors. Um, doesn't contain gluten. Mm-hmm. So you can make, if you have hundred percent rice beer, you can do, you can make it completely gluten-free, um, which is cool. If that's what you want. It's also very hard to make a good 100% rice beer. Um, yeah, I mean, think about like you you could make a bowl of white rice for dinner exactly. and it's yeah. fine. It's just, it's rice flavored, it's rice, you know, yeah. so it's not going to be terribly exciting, yeah. but you can do it. Mm-hmm. But um, so it has to be like very neutral flavor and aroma. There's a ton of different types of rice you can get, but we're, I'm just talking about a basic white rice i guess right Um, yeah southern long grain rice is what is preferred for brewing but that's preferred for brewing if you're a macro brewer so like you were saying companies using like forbidden rice and things like that are definitely possible so um it was funny because i was reading this article about rice and it's like all these different uses of rice and rice and rice and rice and like this long 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 article and at the very end the last sentence go oh and some home brewers i talked about said they use rice holes to help uh filter the bed i was like (laughs) it's just so funny because it's like the main use of rice is rice holes and it's just like this long article about all these other great information but it's just like oh and some brewers say this i'm like what are you talking it's like (laughs) yeah well and that's kind of like using corn sugar like yeah i use rice holes i wouldn't say that i brewed with rice like that's not yeah yeah that's not what we mean when we say that (laughs) and so like rice holes real quick rice holes are basically the husk of rice and what half what they do is provide a nice filter for your bed if you're using an adjunct or weeds or something with no husk so a lot of wheat a lot of oat flaked oats a lot of flaked corn um, we happen because of our setup, we have that at pilot, we have like a kind of a big brew in a bag setup, if you will, but it's three barrels, it's big tank, but, um, it gets very compacted. Even if we have an all malt beer, we're using 80% of our water. So it's very different than your traditional brewing setup. So it gets very compacted in there. We have to use a big, like a five pounds of rice holes for every single batch, no matter right. what. So I'm always using rice holes, but typically you really only need to use them if you have an ingredient that you need it for. Right. So that is one of the uses of of rice, particularly the husk of rice, which is great because now we can get two uses out of rice. Um, But there, um, let's see my other notes about it. There's different types of rice, right? So you have like short grain and long grain kind of specifically. Um, and short grain can tends to have the highest starch content and makes the stickiest rice. Has a different gelatination. Gelatination. I can't say that word right now. Gelatination. Gelatinous temp. <laughs> Gelatinization <laughs> temperature. A little bit lower than long grain rice. Um, I think long grain rice, like you said, is the preferred. Is mm-hmm. um, it doesn't stick as much. 
it's easier to brew with there still seems to be um some kind of different if i can remember correctly like there's a lot of different effects the rice will have on like enzyme production and the mash and fermentation like affecting different lipid levels and and i'm sure um there was just a lot of research of like this rice can be better for this and this has a lower oil content or a lower moisture content what it what i determined that is rice is very hard to brew with (laughs) correctly yes there's a lot of things to take into account maybe i don't know more so than corn because like i was saying like corn is just readily provided to me by the maltster I don't really have to think about it that much. I have all the info. I don't I don't know where I could get all that with rice. You know, like it would have to be from the rice supplier and they don't care about brewing. They just want to sell their rice. So, you know, there's like a ton of different types of rice with like, you know, I feel like I wrote down a bunch here, but somewhere, but like black rice and I don't know, smoked rice and just different spiced rice. And you're just like, damn, what are you? How do you make this decision? (laughs) Right. So with rice, like I mentioned, um, the Southern long grain is what is most popular for brewing. But again, that's popular for adjunct brewing. And there are, and I know we've talked about this before on one of our episodes where that's kind of one of those things that hadn't really occurred to me, Rachel, until you said, you know, this other brewery had, was using forbidden rice that like, there's a lot of brewing science and brewing technique out there that is generally accepted because it came from places like Anheuser-Busch, places like Coors. And up until very recently, nobody has worried about rice. What kind of rice would you use? Because for 70 years, there was one kind of rice. I mean, Anheuser-Busch is the biggest buyer of rice in the United States. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's a huge industry, specifically in states like Arkansas is the top rice producer in the country. And so you can imagine how, you know, how big of a business that is, but brewers haven't, craft brewers haven't paid much attention to it. I don't think we've really dived into it that much. Yeah. Right. So saying that, like with you saying that, it's just like, yeah, you know, you do want your oil content to be about like 0.6 to 1.2% by weight, uh, because that's going to give you the lowest lipid level. So like you were saying, you're not going to, you know, that's not going to affect your head or anything like that. But one of the reasons why Southern long grain rice is, you know, used for brewing. So for adjunct brewing is because it has a very high starch content. So like you said, it's going to provide the most fermentable sugar. Um, It also has uh, the most neutral flavor. Yeah. And again, going back to how styles, adjunct styles grew in popularity was making it as flavor neutral as you could. It was just Mm -hmm. thirst quenching. And that is a really interesting now, like now my wheels are kind of spinning on, okay, I need to start doing research on how you can brew with different kinds of rice and what, what contributions they're going to have. Like this black rice gives a black color. So this is, they say the beer is like the body of a pilsner, but it's black. Right. And that's from the rice. And I'm like, wow, like it's like inky black, like, uh, kind of gross. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's, that's super interesting. And, um, I know we've got to wrap up, uh, so we can get to our next thing. Um, I'll just uh, yeah. point out, like, I guess maybe last thing on rice is, 
I didn't, there's not like a ton of styles out there that are using a lot of rice. I mean, you have your mass produced light lager, um, a lot of beers in Japan, uh, a lot of Japanese breweries, I should say, are using rice. And then like, again, gluten-free beer, but that's, you got to really use like hundred percent rice. And if you really want it to be gluten-free, you need to like brew it on a system that is completely decontaminated of your malt. So there's that, <laughs> but right. Which is why a lot of breweries don't do it. And which is why it's hard to find good gluten-free beers. There's definitely a couple out there. Um, I know if you're in Charlotte, there's armored cow and they have a whole gluten-free brewery. They have two brewing systems and one is completely gluten-free. So like I have a cousin who's celiac, which works well for her. Like she can't have boom, anything, but We'll finish up, wrap this episode up. I'll let Jen do it because she's very good at that. Oh, thank you. There's a <laughs> kernel of truth to that. <laughs> Again, if everyone would please post your best corn or rice jokes, that'd be right. great. I would. Your I'd, most I like amazing <laughs> corn Actually, and rice jokes. Fruit uh, IPA or Southeastern IPA one time and called it amazing IPA. all right thank you everyone for listening um if you are still listening if you didn't (laughs) take your earbuds out in disgust in the first few minutes you understand um if you made it all the way through we congratulate you oh my god (laughs) she's too good she doesn't even have to google this stuff (laughs) write a book um (laughs) (laughs) a book of corn jokes um but yes thank you for for listening for joining us as always you can reach out to us on social media at false bottom girls on instagram and facebook you can also email us at falsebottomgirls at gmail.com we always appreciate you guys we have some really cool and exciting stuff that we're going to be doing this year uh, just to you know, try to get a little bit in, more involved with our our fan base and show our appreciation for all of you, uh, because we really do it. I, we say this every time, and I don't think we'll ever get sick of saying it or seeing it that it means so much when we hear from you guys. So thank you everyone for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Corn joke. Corn joke. You have something. <laughs> This has been False Bottom Girls, and we make the brewing world go round.